0: listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Stick around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge. Thanks for tuning in.
1: Well, we are into the second week of our discipleship series, My Part, God's Part, Their Part. And uh, I want to start by introducing you to a couple of my friends. This is, this is Jeff and Patty Anderson. Uh, Jeff and I have worked together for a dozen years in the military. Uh, the first, about first four years, we were in separate squadrons. He was in Oregon. I was in eastern Washington. He was western Oregon. So we saw each other on average once a year. And then the last eight years or so, We were working in the same squadron, and Jeff really became an ally both in our work but also in life. He's a a great friend, and uh, he's got an amazing wife. But when I retired from the military, Jeff was one of the guys that I thought about when when it came to my witness. And I really wondered, did I I focus— too much of my time and energy on my career? Did I focus too much of my time and energy on my success? Did I shy away from too many conversations? Because sometimes having those conversations with people, for me, was challenging. I don't know about you, but you know, talking about my faith, talking about my relationship with Christ, I don't know, it just sometimes feels awkward. Can I get an amen? Anybody else feel that in the room? Um, and so maybe you've wrestled with the same question. Am I doing enough as, as a witness for Christ? And what is my part? What is my part in my doing my part? I, th- I think that's a question that we wrestle with. I think that's a normal thing that we wrestle in when it comes to discipleship. Well, last week we started and we said that discipleship is our calling. We started in Matthew 4, and we'll just look at the second verse today. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That was call, Jesus' call to Peter and to Andrew. And what we've said is that you're not called simply to a prayer and a person. I don't know if anybody has ever told you that what you really need to do is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That sounds simple, right? I think we want to make entry into this relationship with Jesus as simple as possible for people. I wonder if we make it too simple. Because I don't see Jesus making it simple. Out of this verse, we get our definition for a disciple. It's someone who follows Jesus, who's changed by Jesus, and who's on mission with Jesus. There's a whole lot of Jesus in this. We should be experiencing Jesus. You shouldn't just be experiencing Rob. Experiencing Rob is, meh. Nah. Experiencing Jesus is amazing. We'll talk about that, not the meh part, the amazing part. And making disciples is the work of the church. We talked about that there's these, these four different types of churches that uh, Jim Putman and Bobby Harrington have been planting churches for over 20 years, and they, they've been around church planters. They're, they're in that conversation all the time, and now both of them focus on, besides the work within their own congregation, helping other churches around the world which is a discussion. We'll talk about that in footnotes. Take note of that, Logan. Because um, they, they use this discipleship model around the world. Um, but there's you know churches that they want to focus on educating people or attracting people or being missional or being organic. And those focuses within themselves are not bad because these are things that we see Jesus do, but they're not all that we're called to there are subsets or components of discipleship. We make disciples. That's what we do as a people. And therefore, as a church, that's what we do. And then we talk about context for discipleship. There's uh, the synagogue system that came out of of the Babylonian exile, right? And the northern part of Israel— The people there saw that their Judaism, their response to Judaism was distinct from those in the south in Jerusalem. About 150 to 250,000 people is what experts estimate. And they had this learning system that they initiated, Bet Sefer, which is the house of the book, Bet Tamud, which is the house of learning, and then Bet Midrash. And in that first core training environment in bet was for kids aged 5 to 10 and they memorized by the by the time they were done they memorized the first 5 books of the bible they knew their scriptures and then the best of the best they went on to the next level which is where they They would learn the rest of the Tanakh, the rest of the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. And then the very best of the best, like going to Harvard, is Bet Midrash. And these are the house of the learning. And and these were folks that were actually following a rabbi by this point. Now, Peter and his brother, apparently, they were not Bet Midrash you know, they didn't—they didn't meet the standard because they had gone back and they were working their family business. You—you you, you wouldn't do that. You would just—you would just move on to the next level. And so, Jesus takes this idea of discipleship and he applies it to the common person. Picks guys that the fish, and swear, and sweat for a living. And Peter says, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. We read in in care group, right? I think that would have been my response a number of times. And then Jesus passes the baton to the disciples in Matthew 28. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, We are the result of disciples that made disciples. You and I stand here and sit here today because disciples made disciples that made disciples that made disciples over and over and over again. And we get to reap that benefit. And the question is, will we pick up the baton too? Will we do our part? Will the next generation know Christ because... We baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we taught them to deserve all that he commanded. And then the best part of this whole statement, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This promises for you and for me that we get to experience Jesus when we choose to be disciples that make disciples. And I asked you to make a conscious decision. And and no decision is actually a decision. But I asked you to make a decision. Will you be a disciple maker? And it felt awkward. I knew I didn't know what I was doing when I made that decision 15 years ago. Jesus is with us in our discipleship life. Jesus also tells us how this is going to work in John sixteen seven, He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So how is Jesus with you and I in discipleship? through the agency of the Holy Spirit. I said last week that the people we disciple, they need both the Word and the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't have anything to work with if we don't feed those people, if we don't teach them how to read God's Word. Because again, the disciples, they were raised up in the Scriptures. They were trained. They memorized the first five books of the Bible and maybe the the rest of the Old Testament if they were really good. The people that you and I encounter, they have all kinds of theories on what the Bible says. lot of crazy theories out there. (laughs) I don't know if you've you've heard any of them. They're kind of exciting and wild and fun and not true. Uh, (laughs) They need some help. The people we disciple need the Word and the Holy Spirit. J.D. Greer, he's a pastor, says this uh, in his book, uh, Jesus Continued, which which is about the Holy Spirit. If you want a really practical balanced view, understanding of the Holy Spirit, read this book. It's called Jesus Continued. And, and the reason why J.D. Greer calls it Jesus Continued is because he sees the Holy Spirit living out what Jesus lived out with his 12, the Holy Spirit does with you and I as we live out this discipleship life. He says, Paul believed the study of the word without the Holy Spirit was useless, I've added those words myself. Um, that's why after expounding the gospel in great detail in the first three chapters of Ephesians, he stops explaining. And he starts praying. That the Spirit would enable, enable the Ephesian believers to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. How are we going to know things that are unknowable about God without the agency of the Word and the agency, the work of the Holy Spirit? So we need both. And that's why we have care groups where we take today's conversation and we go further. We take the, the, the primary passage that we're going to talk about in today's sermon, and we have this conversation with people at our neighbors and our friends, and we just—it's—it's it's in your bulletin. You, no secret on what we talk about. We don't want to bait and switch or hiding anything from you, uh-huh. but we go deeper and we talk. What does this mean to me? And this is what I see. And this is what. So we have this conversation so we could understand God's word, and then we have our life-transforming groups where we. Either three guys or three gals meet once a week, and they talk about the three chapters they read seven days the week prior. And right now we're going through the Gospel of Luke. And when you read something over and over and over again, you give the Holy Spirit time to work specifically with you. To, and I love it when we're engaging with, with the words of Jesus. I mean, there's just nothing better nothing more challenging, (laughs) nothing better. And so that's why we have these groups. So our people that we're trying to disciple can hear God's word, engage with God's word, and give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to work. Well, today, my goal is for you to understand when we say my part, God's part, their part, like what does that even mean? because this is so important. It's so important for us to be able to grasp that because it's, it's critical to discipleship. And this made, this made things so simple for me, honestly. You know, sometimes in discipleship, we try to do the other person's part. And sometimes in discipleship, you've probably seen this too, we try to do God's part. And maybe you've seen someone try to do God's part in your own life, and you're like, (laughs) back away from the Bible, man. (laughs) I know you're cool and everything, but you're not Jesus cool. (laughs) (laughs) And so how do we know when we're doing our part? And it's good. And relax. And enjoy it. Because God smiles when you're doing your part. And how do we recognize when God's doing his part? These are the kinds of things we want to get into in this series. But for you to understand why we even call this series this, this title, I want to jump into Acts chapter 8. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise up and go to the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose up and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He came to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over there and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading, he said. How can I, unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with them. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this: "Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation?" For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask, does this prophecy say this? This prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. That's our story. And in the story, we have three characters, right? Three primary characters. We have Philip, who simply says yes to God, and oh, by the way, with not very much information. He's told, head south. He head south. <laughs> unlike, unlike Jonah, right? <laughs> go back and listen to that sermon series. He's told to go join the Ethiopian. Like, that's not much information, but he goes. Then God shows up through the agency of his angel and his spirit. But God's pulling the strings here. I find it interesting that the angel didn't scare the bejesus out of Philip. Usually when an angel shows up, they have to say, do not fear because the person's laying down in a puddle. So I find find that fascinating. And then there's one other person in this story. He's an Ethiopian. He's a eunuch. He's traveled far. He's a man of great responsibility. So there's our three characters in this story. And these players, let's let's consider each role that they played. Because if we consider that, we may be able to figure out some, glean some things about how our response should be. Philip, he knows his scriptures. Oh, you're in Isaiah. I don't know if they had the numbering system back then. I think uh, the numbering system wasn't until 3rd century A.D. But uh, I'm sure he's thinking, that's Isaiah 53. Um, He's committed to living out the Great Commission. Now, there's two Philips in the Bible. There's Philip the the Apostle. This is Philip the Evangelist. And Philip the Evangelist shows up in Acts chapter 6. If you remember in Acts chapter 6, the uh, Hellenistic widows, they're not getting their share of the food. And so a concern is raised, and the the apostles said, listen, we're not going to distract ourselves from from reading the scriptures and prayer. We're going to focus on what our part is. But appoint for yourself seven faithful men. Philip was one of those guys. So he gets to start by serving tables. Ma'am, what would you like to eat today? That's how he starts. But serving within the church is not the end game. That's a great starting point. I love our team that serves every Sunday to make, make, make this happen. We have a ton of faithful people to make services happen. But so that's not the end game. And then um, Philip goes on when Stephan... Uh, his brother in Christ is murdered, is martyred. He, uh, the persecution of the church becomes heavy there in Jerusalem. So Philip and a number of other people, they go up to Samaria because no self-respecting Jew goes to Samaria, right? He actually leads some people to Christ. He actually does some preaching there. And so he goes from serving tables to preaching and then some of the apostles go to Samaria as soon as they find out amazing story, um, especially if you understand the history of Samaria. And so he's a preacher up north. This, his story kind of reminds me of my own story, because I said last week that I said yes to discipleship, right? And I was thinking about how I presented that, you could think that I was already on staff as a pastor someplace. I had felt this call to be a a pastor through most of my military career, but I ran from that most of my, all a good portion of my military career. And so when I said yes to discipleship, I was still in the military. And even after I was in the military, I ran my parents' transmission shop for a few years. But within a month of that prayer, I became the director of discipleship. God's got a sense of humor. I became the director of discipleship where I served on a team for the, for the youth. We had about 300, 400 youth that we were serving, and I was serving 80 students that wanted to go deeper into discipleship. And I was partnering with with about 20 adults and and two staff members. So that was within a month. And then I helped plant the Coraline campus as a volunteer, and I, I was involved with outreach, I was uh, involved with youth, I was involved with hospitality. I, I was there every service that it could be. And then after a few years of being there as a volunteer, I became a pastoral. Intern. And so I just kept saying yes to the next thing. I just kept saying, when I decided to leave my parents' business to do the internship, that was the hardest yes. Like I was leaving a million dollar operation that was going to be mine to run, to own. And I was like, I want to be confident that this is God calling me to walk away from my family business that my parents ran for 30 years. So Philip, he starts small. He's faithful. He keeps saying the next yes. And then there's God. God second character in this story, he makes all this happen. He's always lining things up to bring people to himself. So here's Philip. He's in uh, northern Israel, isolated away from Jerusalem. And here's a eunuch, Down in Ethiopia, they're separated by 1,500-plus miles, which is significant today, more significant in the ancient world. So they're separated not only by distance, but by culture, ethnicity, social standing. And God brings them together for a life-changing conversation. Philip gets moved by God from northern Israel, about a third way up, two-thirds of the way up, down to the Gaza region to have this conversation. God's pulling all the strings. And then the Ethiopian, he is a worshiper. Well, we've talked about this in footnotes. He was restricted as a eunuch from fully entering into the the presence of God. Like he could not actually go to the altar to sacrifice for himself. He was prohibited. Yet he takes this 1,500 mile trip to worship. This is not your run of the mill summer vacation he owned an isaiah scroll most towns in israel did not own a isaiah scroll you'd go the the synagogues they would they would they'd have different scrolls i don't remember what the uh what the value of of one of those scrolls would be In comparison today, I think we'll talk about that in footnotes, but it's a lot of dinero. And my guess, God had been working in this man's heart for a long time for him to make this trip. Probably the best thing we could say about the Ethiopian is that he was seeking out answers and he was willing to learn, he sought out answers and he was willing to learn. I called Jeff Anderson this week, a friend I introduced you to earlier, uh, to fill in the gaps of what I knew about his face story. Because when we uh, had moved to Moscow, so after I retired from the military, I lived in Post Falls for another three years, went on staff, as an intern, and after that, we moved to Moscow, Idaho, and for me to eventually go on staff at The Real Life there. And about half a dozen times, we would meet uh, the Andersons, Christy and I would meet them for dinner in Colfax. Colfax was about halfway between us and Cheney, Washington, where they were living. So about six times, we make this trek, we sit down for dinner with them, and the first five times i drove away just kind of heartbroken because my friend was not moving towards christ and and hadn't as long as i'd known him as far as i could see as far as i could tell uh his life was it was a very hedonistic life it was very much about pleasure and being retired and And having stuff, and how glorious that was. And he he just—he was—he was not near to God. And I would pray as we drove home, Lord, will you work in my friend's life? The last time we met for dinner, we have an hour and a half long conversation. I think we're done. I'm about ready to pay the bill. And then a new conversation springs up. <clears throat> and I got asked questions about church and about grace and about Jesus. And we have another hour long conversation. And I'm pretty sure I was standing 10 feet tall when I walked out the door. I was so excited. We get in the car and Christy says, How long have you been waiting for that conversation? I said, 20 years. it have been 16 plus. Because Jeff reminded me that in 1999, we were at Prince Sultan Air Base waiting for an airplane, six hours, that, waiting for an airplane that would never show up <laughs> so we could go home. Six hour conversation. You think God maybe had something to do with that airplane not showing up? <laughs> Six-hour conversation where we talked about God. I forgot about the conversation. It made an impact on my friend. The best part of my conversation with, with uh, Jeff this week, well, let me show you this first. Um, within a few months, April 16th, Easter of 2017, uh, Jeff and Patty, look at that smile. Jeff and Patty were baptized. And I got to hear what God was doing in the background in between our meetings. How God was working. The best thing about my conversation with Jeff this week, he says, Rob, this is totally scaring me, but... I'm discipling somebody. Like, yeah. God was a work. God was doing the heavy lifting. God's the one who saves. God's the one who reveals truth. God wants to work through you and I. I'm going to bring Kyle up to share his story with you guys. As you may know, Kyle is pretty new to the faith. And I think for some of us, it's been a long time since we were new to the faith. Can I get an amen there? <laughs> and so we, it's maybe harder to see what that was like and remember those, those events that led to us saying yes to Christ. But Kyle, thanks for coming up. Love you, brother. Um, Prior to August of 2018, what was your religious disposition?
0: Um, so it was pretty different than today. I think it was fair to say that I was a staunch atheist, and I was of the opinion that religion was nothing more than a coping mechanism for people who couldn't handle the real world. Um, I had people in my life, my grandmother was religious, my mom held religious ideas. And they both told me that I should be religious, and eventually I would be religious, which I am. But, you know, um, I was pretty against it and held some strong beliefs that it was ridiculous.
1: Okay. Uh, Take us through this timeline.
0: Okay, so in August of 2018... Should I come this way? I will come this way. There we go. In August of 2018... (laughs) You'll echo less. I see. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Um, My brother had been in a bad bike accident, and that left him with a few lasting neurological conditions that I really couldn't understand. Um, I was frustrated and confused. And about two weeks later, my friend Caden, who becomes instrumental to my faith story, invited me to come to a youth group, and I had nothing better to do on the Tuesday night. I had finished my homework. They were going to the beach, going to eat some clam chowder. I was like, okay, this sounds like a good idea. I'll go. Sounds
1: like a family dinner.
0: Yeah, It does kind of sound like a family dinner. Um, And so I went, and I had a good time. Had some laughs. There were some cool people there. I always enjoyed hanging out with Caden. So I, the next week when he asked if I wanted to come back, I said, sure, and I went to youth group that next week. And I, in the beginning, we played a game, and it was fun. I had some laughs again. And then they transitioned into their church conversation. And me, being the avid scholar I am, was like, this is interesting, but I don't believe in this. But I like to hear the perspective. So I sat there respectfully, and I was, doo, 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 doo. you know, and I listened, and they talked. And I was like, okay, that's confusing. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but okay. And then the next week, I went back. And then the next week, I went back. Because I liked playing games. But also, I liked learning. And I liked learning perspective. And as we went through this learning perspective journey, conversations of me listening. One night, I asked a question, which was a big step for me because I was, you know, this is now active participation in this conversation that I felt was based in an ideology that was ridiculous. However, that led to a series of more questions, and after youth group, I would often talk to Caden privately and ask him questions because I wasn't comfortable talking to the whole group. So this is where me and Caden kind of entered into this more hands-on discipling relationship where he was actively discipling me because he would just answer my questions, fuel my responses, and, you know, grow me up. Um, And so I continued in this for a few months. And then in November of 2018, there was a mass shooting in my hometown. It was the uh, borderline shooting, and it left a lot of us really shaken up um, that next week, at youth group it was a very intentional group there was it was the biggest youth group we ha- we had had since I'd come but it was also by far the most intentional and present group that I think I've still ever been to we were everyone in that room was experiencing the exact same thing we were all confused grieving lost and in that room we could all feel the holy spirit there and this Coming from an atheist at the time was something I was not familiar with. So this night kind of began to shift a perspective, so to speak. Like I was more open to the idea of religion after having experienced this night firsthand and the intentional presence of that room and the Holy Spirit moving between us. And so from this then on, I kind of started having more conversations with the youth pastor, conversations with Caden about... Um, just different God questions I had. I remember once there was a a dialogue we had about communion, because at the time I hadn't been taking communion yet. I would just pass the tray along and not take it. And that conversation with Kristen was probably the first one where we got really deep into it, and she explained everything to me. And then I started taking communion. Um, And then from there on, every Tuesday after youth group, there would be five of us who would stay after youth group and then just have these types of conversations. I would ask questions, we would get into conversations. It was kind of like a, a really informal Bible study, so to speak, where we would just have conversations relating to the gospel. To kind of, I think for me, it was kind of in supplement to what a Sunday school would have been for someone who was raised in the church. It gave me more church canon, so to speak. Um, and then a few months later, these conversations kind of persisted throughout this timeline here. Um, But then we went on a church trip to Forest Home. And the emphasis of the Forest Home devotionals was to create intentional rest time with God. And I am not great at resting. I like to work a lot. I'm a very busy guy. At least in high school, I was very busy. Um, And it's really hard for me just to put aside time to do nothing and be intentional in my rest. But, you know, I was open to the idea. I was beginning to shift my perspective, so to speak. At this point, I wouldn't consider myself a staunch atheist anymore. I would consider myself in questioning. And with this intentional rest, there also came this idea of opening a dialogue with God. Up until this point, I don't think I'd prayed at all, if at all. If I had, it was very rudimentary and not a dialogue. But with conversations with Kristen and Caden and deciding one night that I was just going to try it out, I entered into a dialogue with God. And from then on, in the week that followed Forest Home, I would say it was a hugely transitional week in my ability to have a dialogue with God and to communicate, have an open relationship with God. And in, in this moment is where I, I would say I became I considered myself a Christian after Forest Home because I, had, I was able to have a conversation. Um, and then from then on, I entered into a discipleship small group, and then that went for these five months. And then eventually I started a, a small group with Caden. We were co-leading it, and we were discipling others. And then it culminated, culminated in uh, September of last year, I was baptized. And then from then on, I've continued my faith walk, and continued to grow and learn. And,
1: yes. and then, so August of 2018, was that the first time Caden had
0: invited you? No. It was the first time that I said yes. First time you said yes. <laughs> okay.
1: How many months? How many, how much time?
0: Um, there, He'd probably invited me at least a dozen times prior.
1: Okay. Okay. And then when did you sense God working in your life? Like consciously, you're like, oh man, that's God.
0: I would say the conscious moments were definitely the night following Borderline, definitely that week following Forest Home. Um, And then kind of throughout the journey past that, there's been moments where I can definitely see God. Um, But looking back, I think God was working in my life as soon as Justin's accident um, just because for some reason I said yes that week. For some reason, Caden felt compelled to invite me that week. And I think there was, there was God working into that because he'd asked me twelve times, at least 12 times before, and I had said no. And, well, I, yeah, I, I would say God was working back then too. I just hadn't known it yet.
1: Right, yeah, and I think that's been my experience too. Uh, final question for you. Your friend Caden, what was the most important thing that he did?
0: I think the most important thing Caden did um, was staying consistent and persistent with me. Because I, I don't think I was the easiest person to disciple. I was pretty set in my ways. I dug myself a trench, and I was going to protect my trench. Um, <laughs> you were going to go down. I was, I was down to stay in that trench. but. <laughs> he he sat over that trench with his hand extended and eventually got me out of the trench. But it took years from when we first knew each other and then once he started trying to disi- disciple me, months after that, it was, it's was. it been a long process and I would say we're still in a discipling relationship to this day. Like Even when we started that care group or small group together, we were still actively discipling. He was, we were in a discipling relationship still. It was not... There's no end date to discipleship, I don't think. I think it's a long-term thing. Yeah. And there's continued growth throughout.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Excellent. Thank you. So in Caden's story or Kyle's story, yeah, let's give him a hand. We'll give God the hand. Caden um, is the my part. Kyle is their part. And then... There's God in the in-between. One of the things that I appreciate or that I value is that God is always at work. He is always at work. He's always at work. And so the things that I start, the things that I pray about, and there's a number of people I have, I have a list that's supposed to be a few. It's, it's better than a dozen. It, it, it keeps growing. Uh, people that I've, I've met through uh, the red coats, uh, through the Chamber of Commerce, or people I've met at the gym, my neighbors—you know—I've I've got this ongoing list because for a while there, all I knew were people that are part of a church. So I'm like, um, I need to meet some some people that are not part of a church, so I, I can remember what it's like to try to try disciple somebody from from the ground up. But. Like you, I've got family members. I still have long-term friends that haven't said yes to Christ. And so I want you guys to see through Jeff's story, through Caden's or uh, Kyle's story, Caden Kyle's story, how this works, what this looks like. The implications, guys, is this. And my part, God's part, their part, my part is this. Say yes to the opportunities God puts before you. Say yes to the opportunities that God puts before you. Will you be that person? Or are you going to let fear or your schedule or your entertainment... Where are you going to let get in the way of that? Yes. Then God's part—he's always lining things up to bring people into the relationship, into relationship with Himself. He's always lining things up. He's always at work. He's—he's doing way more than I anticipate. My dad used to say, towards the end of his life, he would say, Rob, God will not send people to you if you're not a safe person. If you're distracted, disinterested, or or in this for your own glory, he's not going to send people to you. And he knew what he was talking about because God sent people to him over and over and over and over again. But God's the one who's lining things up, lining up these conversations, preparing people's hearts, turning tragedy into a conversation. Kyle's brother was here, by the way, what, 30 days ago when he first came? Yeah. So. He's recovered. I feel like I say that. Yeah, he's recovered. <laughs> he's, doing, he's doing well. <laughs> um. And then their part. We can't do this for them. But they need to be seeking answers and willing to learn. Until Kyle was willing to seek for answers and willing to learn, Caden's part was limited. You can't, we can't do that for them. Even as parents, maybe, as, maybe parents are the worst sometimes. We wanna do their part, we can't. Our part is to pray, to be faithful, to be consistent, and trust that God is at work. When they're ready, when they ask questions, you'll walk out 10 feet taller this is going to be the best moment of your life. It's amazing when it happens. So next steps. All of us need to seek answers, be willing to learn. Regardless of where we're at in our faith with Christ, whether we're we're just trying to figure things out or we've been doing this a long time, we still need to seek answers, be willing to learn. And again, that's why we have our care group, our life transforming group not just some of us don't feel a great need when we go to care group or life transforming group but we're we're not we're not there to serve ourselves we're there to serve others we're not there to meet our own needs we're there to meet other people's needs now can we do discipleship beyond care group and life transforming group absolutely i want you to do this within your design just know that, th- that this is a great tool to use. Just know it's a great tool to use. So seek answers and be willing to learn. Be, always be that person. If you're not still learning about Jesus after 50 years of following Christ, ah, he's an infinite God. How can you know everything? How big is your God if you've already got it all figured out? And then number two, say the next yes. Just make a decision now, Lord, I'll say the next yes. I know some of you are thinking, that means Africa. It might. Uh, I was talking to a buddy yesterday. We'll talk about this on footnotes. Um, Real life does discipleship around the world. And my buddy, uh, he's an ar Well, he he's a forest manager in the Corvallan area, but he's been to half a dozen countries around the world for real life. But he works in. So who knows? God might keep you here, and still take you around the world, and this will be your base of operation. But be willing to say. The next. Yes, because if you're willing to do that, you will experience God. I had to say the next yes this morning. My sermon didn't start out the way I planned it. <laughs> God changed my plan. I have no idea why. I'm not God. I don't have to have that figured out for me to say yes. Yes. My part, God's part, their part. What we're going to do as a community is try to get really good at doing our part. And this is just one of many conversations we'll have over the next weeks over what my part looks like so that we understand it. It's simplified. It's demystified. It's not convoluted. It's not some sales job. And if you're not an evangelist, I mean, there's, there's some people, uh, Pastor Jim Putman, Aaron Couch talks about Jim Putman this way. Jim Putman can walk someone across the street and when they get to the other side, they're ready to accept Christ. And as a pastor, Aaron Couch felt shamed by that. If it's not your design to walk someone across the street and introduce them to Christ, I don't want you to feel shame. But I felt that shame, too. I'm supposed to be a pastor. What's wrong with me? But I've had the opportunity to see people come to Christ and glory in God and what he did. And that's what I want for our congregation.
0: Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. Mission Ridge is a new church in Missoula, Montana. If you're in the Missoula area, we would love to have you join us for worship on a Sunday. For more information about Mission Ridge, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, or online at missionridge.church. If you would like to partner with us financially, you can give securely online at missionridge.church forward slash give. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you have a blessed week. We'll catch you on the flip side.